Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today I'm going to cover Blood Meridian, or The Evening Redness in the West by Cormac McCarthy. This is book 40 of 52 for my 2020 reading list. A quick intro to this episode. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, this project is based upon having a yearly reading list. I set that list a year in advance, and then I read through 52 books in order. For my 2020 reading list, I had a book on, on it that was called Noise by Daniel Kahneman. And it was supposed to release this year, but it ended up not being released. So I, I ended up having an open spot on my list. I started this reading project in th- 2017, and in that time, I've read 189 books. I've actually read this book already, Blood Meridian. And out of the 189 books, it is the book I hated the most. If I were to rank all 189 books, I would put Blood Meridian at 189. I despised it. But here's the thing, I recorded a podcast episode with Jason about this book, and all I did was just talk about how much I hated the book. And that's that's not fair to to you. That's not fair to people listening to that episode. And it, it ended up getting the most hate and the most uh, one-star reviews. I mean, people just write about that and uh, and and they make they make note that uh, that it's not a fair look at the book. And so I owe it to myself and I owe it to you listeners to reread the book and to re-record a better episode. So that's the reason I decided to read the book that I hated to 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 read it again and, and to to see what happened. So quick note, if you have not read Blood Meridian, I will be giving spoilers in this episode. So if you do plan to read the book, don't spoil it. Uh, just hit pause and listen listen to it after you read it. Also, this is quite simply the most gruesome and disturbing book I've ever read. You'll hear some of that in this episode. If you'd rather not hear that kind of, of, of content, then I, I'd, I'd encourage you not to listen to this episode. So Blood Meridian, what, what is it? Well, it's a work of fiction. And at the beginning, we're immediately introduced to a kid from Tennessee who leaves his home at age of 14. We know from the beginning he's got a penchant for violence, and he starts acting out on that that uh, violence, and he just gets into fights and, and different things, and that gets him the notice of other violent people. He makes his way into Texas, and he joins a gang headed by a Captain White. And that gang is headed west, and the task is to just kill Mexicans. And the reason they're doing that is, is that this is the time of Manifest Destiny. And if you want to be able to travel from the east of the, of the states to, to the west without, uh, without Mexicans being in the way, well, you've got to get rid of them. And so the kid is 19 years old at this point, and the year is 1849. Captain White, who, he, who the kid is, is uh, working under, gets killed a short while later, and the kid ends up in prison. And he gets released to join a new gang under Glanton. This gang is tasked with taking scalps of Indians, and for that they get a hundred dollars per scalp. And so these these this gang is just going around killing Indians to to get these scalps and, and to get paid. 
But the gang doesn't just stop at, at killing Indians. They they kill pretty much anything that moves. And they also in, end up killing the Mexicans who hired them to kill the Indians. So they, they go from being viewed as, as uh, liberators and, and cheered to being, to being feared. The kid is the main character in the story. He's, he's the, a protagonist of sorts. But there's another character, perhaps the most memorable and sadistic character that you will ever come across in, in literature. And that is the judge. That is Judge Holden. The judge gets the kid out of prison uh, where after he had worked with, with Captain White, he had gone to prison. The, the judge gets him out and gets him connected to this Glanton gang. The judge is completely bald. He's completely hairless from, from head to foot, not even eyebrows or, or, or one piece of hair on his body. He's a large man. He's, he's a man interested in, in all things. He's extremely intelligent. He's described as, as a big child. And he's a sadistic Renaissance man is, is the best way I can describe it. The, the kid's life intertwines with the judges throughout this book. And the judge has a philosophy of life. The kid does not live by that philosophy. And so the kid is ultimately destroyed and is destroyed in such a gruesome way that Cormac McCarthy doesn't even tell you what happened. He just leaves it to your imagination. I'll talk about the judge's philosophy in in a little bit. Cormac McCarthy, the author, the style that he writes in is what I call pizzicato. And pizzicato is a, a musical term, but it's it's kind of just a pop, 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 pop. Uh, earlier this year, I read a, a Graham Greene book. And right after that, I read a book by Leif Erikson. And in those podcast episodes, I, I referred to Graham's style as as that pizzicato and, and Leif uh, Erickson, uh, or Leif Anger, sorry, not Erickson, Leif Anger, uh, I said his style was more legato. And legato is just kind of long, flowing notes, and p- pizzicato is just the, the opposite of that. McCarthy himself calls his style simple, declarative sentences, and Hemingway was a, a big influence on him. So if you've, if you've read any Hemingway, it, it's, there's some simil- similarities there. Another aspect of the style is that there are no, quest- or no quotation marks. So you, you really have to pay attention. Uh, McCarthy thought quotation marks muddied up the page. So you, you just kind of have to always be, be aware of, of who's speaking. Um, and, and without the quotation marks, it makes it difficult, but, but it's, it's, it's obviously doable. Another interesting thing that I caught on this reading that I didn't necessarily catch on the first reading is that at the beginning of each chapter, there's a set of phrases that describe what is going to happen. And in other books I've read, it, they'll have that at the beginning. And I, I usually just skip those because I, I don't really want to know what I'm about to read. I just kind of want to read it. But what's interesting about these these sets of phrases is that they describe what happens, but in in more detail. So it's almost like you ha- you you have to read both together to get the full detail of that chapter. So for example, there was, there's one chapter where the, the gang that the kid is, is with is attacked by Indians. And that's all it says in the chapter that, that they were attacked by Indians. But the note at the beginning of the chapter says they were, they were attacked by Comanche Indians. And later on in the, in the book, I think in the very next chapter, they're, they're, they're called Comanche Indians. But for that chapter, you, you don't know that they're 
Comanche Indians. And, and that's just one example. It just, it provides more detail. So if, if, if you haven't read the book and, and you're wanting to keep that in mind to, to not just skip over those at the beginning of the chapter, I just found it to be a unique thing that, uh, that, that provided a little more context as, as I was reading through it. Uh, as for stats, it, it took me 11 hours to read the book. Uh, that was over eight days to 368 page book, the version that I, that I read. So that was about 50 or 46 pages per day for the rest of this episode. I'll be covering the following in the next two segments. So segment two, I'll start off, talk about blood Marine. What, what does it mean? What, what, what is the context? Uh, how does it come up in the book? I'll then cover some contrasts that come up in the book talk about the judge, and then highlight a few quotes. So that, that will all, all be in segment two. Segment three, I will cover the one thing. That's my one key takeaway from the book. And then also talk a little bit about the shift that happened for me in reading it for the first time in 2017, hating it, and then reading it again in 2020. What changed? What, uh, what, what was my experience this time compared to the first time? Uh, what did I get out of it this time that I didn't the first time? That, that kind of thing. Now into segment two, what is Blood Meridian? Well, as I was reading this book, I, in, the, in the back, I, I like to write in the books and, and I write all over the back of the book. And I just put a section for Blood Meridian and, and then also the, the, the subtitle of the book. So it's Blood Meridian or the Evening Redness in the West. So anything to do with those terms, I would just write the page number of, of where I was seeing these terms come up. And as I was preparing for this episode, read through a lot of those references again. And it just, the words come up over and over, Blood, Meridian, Redness, uh, even even yellow like su- the sunset there's this continual reference at, as they're heading west it's it's red uh it's blood it it's there's this idea of a meridian uh and, and in some of the contexts it, it takes it takes the view of it being kind of a center point or or an apex uh a, a climax of sorts for for the book and so this takes place in 1849. And what what do we know about 49? Well, what's the football team in San Francisco, the, the 49ers? This is 1849, the, the year that that there was this desire to go west. They had found gold in 1848 in California. And so the 49ers were, were heading west to, to find gold, to go west, young man. And, and it was also the time of manifest destiny. So people were heading west there, there was this idea of opportunity and, and good things if, if you went west. But is that the only version of the story? Is, is, is that the only way to think about manifest destiny or, or going west? Was something else involved? Was, was there a dark side of that? And that's, that's what Blood Meridian is getting at. And so Meridian, uh, if, we, if we take it again as that apex and the people in this book, their role in life was to kill. What is the apex that you would ever reach if your whole life is about killing? What, what, what is the greatest thing that is going to happen to you? 
Uh, perhaps you get rich by killing and, and taking other people's goods. Uh, in, in the case of this book where they're paid $100 a scalp, maybe they get uh, wealth by, by, by killing. So what, what is the apex? And, and if, you, if you go into this book with, with that, kind of looking for that, you, you, see, you see these guys get to an apex. And then, and then you see it crumble from there. So what's the apex and, and, and how does that play out? Another thing to note in this book is that uh, uh, some of the characters, they're, they're actual people. They, they, they were real people. And, and Cormac McCarthy wrote this novel kind of loosely based on these people. So there, there was a judge. There was the Glanton gang. Uh, and, and those were, were all real people. Next, I just want to highlight some of the contrasts in the book and, and interesting things to to think about as, as you're reading it. Um, one is just the obvious one of the, of the kid versus the judge. And I'll tie into that a lot more in, in the next segment about the one thing. Another thing I found interesting is that the Glanton gang was tasked, tasked with taking scalps. And to take a scalp, you've, you've got to grab onto the hair and then you, you slice. Uh, the judge didn't have any hair. And, and just that contrast of, of the whole point of this gang was to, to take scalps. That's how they were paid. But you've got the hairless judge. There, there's nothing, there's no hair for you to even grab on the judge to, to take a scalp from him. Another contrast of, of the judge just being this sort of Renaissance man, a, a sadistic one at that, but, but a Renaissance man, just interested in a lot of things. A, a very intelligent person could, could, could talk to different people. People of high level, low level could speak different languages, but this same judge, who's who's this Renaissance man, is part of a gang indiscriminately just killing people in in, in sadistic manners. Uh, you also have the judge constantly being referred to as a kid, and and when you think of children, you think of innocence, but the judge is the furthest furthest thing from from innocence. There's a scene where there's a man who's just been shot and he's singing hymns and, and everyone's hearing these hymns. And so the hymn is, hymns are, are from this man's childhood and it's kind of bringing recollection in, in other people of, of perhaps their childhood. But it's, it's, it's due to being a, a violent scene of, of the man being shot. A, a, a normal contrast in this type of book might be between good and evil, but that... That's not a contrast in, in this book. There, there's not really any good guys. Uh, the only people that could really be called good guys might be these old men that keep popping up in taverns and who, who, who give warning to the gangs and, and to the kid. But it's not, it's not this contrast about good and evil, but it, it's, a, it's almost a book about different levels of depravity. The biggest contrast, and in, in one I'll get in the, in the next section, is this contrast of war and compassion. So a few things about the judge. Uh, what drove him? What, what was his philosophy? Well, one, as, as they're going ab- about through Texas and parts of Mexico, the judge is, is like picking out birds and, and drawing in these birds and, and making notes and and finding artifacts from from other cultures, and he's he's looking at these artifacts. He's drawing them in his book and taking notes and, and that sort of thing. 
and and they keep asking him about these things. You know, why why are you doing this? What we're out on this killing mission, and, and you're 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 all concerned about birds and th- and things like that. And so they ask him about the birds in particular, and 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 this is how the judge responds: Whatever exists, whatever in creation exists without my knowledge exists without my consent. These anonymous creatures may seem little or nothing in the world, yet the smallest crumb can devour us, any smallest thing beneath yon rock out of men's knowing. Only nature can enslave man, and only when the existence of each last entity is routed out and made to stand naked before him will he be properly suzerain of the earth. In order for it to be mine, nothing must be permitted to occur upon it, save by my dispensation." But the man who sets himself the task of singling out the thread of order from the tapestry will, by the decision alone, have taken charge of the world, and it is only by such taking charge that he will effect a way to dictate the terms of his own fate. The freedom of birds is an insult to me. End quote. So it's just a very telling scene of, of how the judge views the world. And, and he, at first appearances, you think he has a curiosity and that curiosity is what's driving I mean, almost like in Einstein where he's just this, this curious mind. And you think maybe that's what's driving this man, but that's not what's driving him at all. His, his drive is to control it. it he, he wants to be a God. He wants to, to be able to control everything and anything that is not in his control is an insult to him. He goes further and, and, when he's recording this history, when he's finding these artifacts, he will draw them and then he'll destroy them. And he doesn't want anyone else to, to ever see them. And, and he makes the statement that it's his, his intention to expunge them from the memory of man. Whether in my book or not, every man is tabernacled in every, in every other and he in exchange and so on in an endless complexity of being and witness to the uttermost edge of the world. End quote. So it's not, for him, it's not about capturing the great things, these great artifacts, or these beautiful birds, or these, these rocks. It's to destroy them so that no one else can, do, can enjoy it, but also dis, to destroy it so that he can control it. Last part of uh, segment two here, just a couple quotes that, uh, that stuck out to me. And the first one comes where, where I mentioned... You know, we see these old men in the taverns kind of acting as, as prophets in a way, telling this, the, these gangs to not do what they're going to do. It's, it's not going to end well. And one of the, one of the old men, he's, he says this, it's, it's a Mennonite man. He says, there is no such joy in the tavern as upon the road thereto. There is no such joy in the tavern as upon the road thereto. The other quote here is about fire. The flames sawed in the wind, and the embers paled and deepened and paled and deepened like the bloodbeat of some living thing eviscerate upon the ground before them, and they watched the fire which does contain within it something of men themselves, inasmuch as they are less without it and are divided from their origins and are exiles. For each fire is of all fires and the first fire and the last ever to be, end quote. That one just stuck out to me because uh, fire is such just a fascinating thing. I mean, if you, 
you can just stare at a campfire. And, and I thought that quote captured it, it well. That in, in each fire is, is, the, is, is almost that, that original fire. There's just something unique about fire. Now into segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from Blood Meridian. Throughout the book, the judge gives his philosophy on life. We, we read different segments as they're traveling west, as they're hitting these red, red sunsets, uh, they're, they're the blood red sunsets. He, he, he will just expound on his philosophy of life. And here's what he says in one of those sections. All other trades are contained in that of war. It endures because me- young men love it and old men love it in them. War is the truest form of divination. It is the testing of one's will and the will of another within that larger will, which, because it binds them, is therefore forced to select. War is the ultimate game because war is at last a forcing of the unity of existence. War is God. Moral law is an invention of mankind for the disenfranchisement of the powerful in, fair, in favor of the weak. Decisions of life and death, of what shall be and what shall not, beggar all questions of right. In elections of these magnitudes are all lesser ones subsumed, moral, spiritual, and natural, end quote. And I, I, I kind of skipped around there in, in that section, but um, the, the, ba- the, the main part is war is God. That, that is the judge's philosophy. War is God. There's a famous quote in The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. And one of the characters says this, if God is dead, everything is permitted. If God is dead, everything is, is permissible. I've, I've, I've heard it that way as well. So to the judge, what if war is God? What, in, in light of Dostoevsky's statement, what, what would be the next section of the judge's statement? So Dostoevsky, if God is dead, everything is permitted. What if war is God? Well, to the judge, mercy would not be permitted. If war is God, mercy is not permitted. From the judge's words, and then more importantly from his actions, we see an absolute absence of mercy. War is definitely his God. I mean, just think of anything that you consider worthy of mercy. Maybe it's a child or or a puppy. And in Blood Meridian, the judge brutally destroys both of them. The kid has two big episodes in this book where he does show mercy, and the judge hates him for that. One uh, one of the other guys in the gang has an arrow in his leg, and he asks, he asks everyone else in the gang, can you please pull this arrow out of my leg? No one wants to do it because uh, when you're doing that, you're likely to get yelled at, uh, probably hit by the guy that you're taking it taking out of his leg. Uh, it's, it's not a pleasant thing. So no one is actually willing to pull it out, but the kid does. And, and so there's a little, little tinge of mercy there. And then in a second situation, uh, something that is, is, is just an impossible situation. There is a man who is part of the gang and he is injured and he, he cannot continue going. And so they have to leave him behind. And the kid is tasked with killing the man so that he doesn't fall into enemy hands because they will do awful things to him. And the kid can't do it. The kid, the kid lets the man live. 
And it's an impossible situation because if he lets him live, he will he will go into the hands of the enemy. But if he kills him, then he he kills he kills this man. He 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 kills a friend. So it's an impossible situation, but and there's not there's not really a merciful solution, but it's some sort of mercy to to let him live, even though he knows that he'll get in his enemy's hands. So th- those are the two examples in in the book where the where the kid does show mercy, and the judge knows it. Uh, the kid thinks he he no one's going to know, especially about that second one. Uh, he he knows he he thinks no one's going to know that that he let him live because the enemy's going to get him anyway. But the judge the judge knows, and so I want to read different sections that happen here towards the end of the book. Where the, where the judge talks about this. The priest has led you to this boy. I know you would not hide. I know too that you've not the heart of a common assassin. I've passed before your gun sights twice this hour and will pass a third time. Why not show yourself? No assassin, called the judge, and no partisan either. There's a flawed place in the fabric of your heart. Do you not think I could not know? You alone were mutinous. You alone reserved in your soul some corner of clemency for the heathen. End quote. Key, the key thing there, you have a flawed place in the fabric of your heart. Remember, to the judge, war is God. And to him, the kid has a flawed place in the fabric of his heart because he reserved in his soul some corner of clemency for the heathen. The next part, a few pages later, the judge says this. The judge smiled. He spoke softly into the dim mud cubicle. Uh, and to back out of the quote here for a second, the kid is in prison at this point and the judge uh, visits him. This is a second time in prison, not the initial time that the judge got him off. So the, the judge, and this is, this is after uh, the judge and the kid were, were, had gotten to the point where they were trying to kill each other. And so the judge visits him in, in prison and says this. He spoke softly into the dim mud cubicle. You came forward, he said, to take part in a work. But you were a witness against yourself. You sat in judgment on your own deeds. You put your own allowances before the judgments of history, and you broke with the body of which you were pledged a part and poisoned it in all its enterprise. Hear me, man. Taking myself out of the quote again. And notice here he says, man, the, the, the kid, we never get the kid's name. And he's called the kid throughout the book. But here the judge calls him man. He's, he's, something has happened. Something has shifted where he has gone from a kid to a man. So back into the quote. Hear me, man. I spoke in the desert for you and you only. And you turned a deaf ear to me. If war is not holy, man is nothing but antic clay. Even the Cretan acted in good faith according to his parts. For it was required of no man to give more than what he, than he possessed, nor was any man's share compared to another's. Only each was called upon to empty out his heart into the common, and one did not. Can you tell me who that was? It was you, whispered the kid. You were the one. The judge watched him through the bars. He shook his head. What joins men together, he said, is not the sharing of bread, but the sharing of enemies. End quote. So you see... He, he accuses the kid of poisoning the entire enterprise, the, the entire gang, the entire enterprise of, of war being God by, by showing this mercy. Now we get towards the end, and this is many years later. This is uh, actually 29 years later. And 
the kid is is at a a tavern, a, a bar, and he looks across the way and there's the judge. And so the judge comes over to him and uh, they have these different sets of discussions. Where is Shelby, whom you left to the mercies of, of Elias in the desert? And where is Tate, whom you abandoned in the mountains? Uh, taking myself out of the quote here for a second, Shelby is the one who he, he left to to get killed by the by the enemy where he was supposed to kill him. So here the judge makes it known that he knows. Where is Shelby, whom you left at the mercies of, of Elias in the desert? You speak truer than you know, but I will tell you only that man who has offered up himself entire to the blood of war, who has been to the floor of the pit and seen horror in the round and learned at last that it speaks to his inmost heart, only that man can dance. A few pages later, speaking of the judge, his feet are light and nimble. He never sleeps. He says that he will never die. He dances in light and in shadow, and he is a great favorite. He never sleeps, the judge. He is dancing, dancing. He says that he will never die. That's the, the very end of the book. And, and the page before, he, is, he has killed the kid, and, and brutally. So if God is, is war, mercy is forbidden. To any one of us, the kid's actions throughout the book are, are atrocious. I mean, he's part of a gang killing people and scalping people for, for money. So his examples of mercy are not even close to being laudable. In fact, McCarthy writes towards the beginning of the book that the kid, uh, after surviving, surviving that battle with the, the Comanche Indians, he stands up and McCarthy says he, he, he looks like the incarnate dam of war herself. Yet... Those examples were, those examples of mercy, no matter how crazy they were, those were enough to disrupt the judge's philosophy. And the judge has to kill the kid because of that. The judge has to extinguish mercy. It does not fit with war being God. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do with that? What do you do with that when you're, when you're reading that? I mean, sometimes it's just important to, to see things from the other side, to maybe not go the manifest destiny, uh, things are good, we're, we're moving west, there's the land of opportunity, but maybe it's important to, to see this other side as well, to see the blood meridian side, to side of it. And so that's my one key takeaway from this book. If, if you have a philosophy like that, if it's an absolute philosophy, like Dostoevsky of, of if God is dead, everything is permitted. If to the judge, if war is God, mercy is forbidden. And if mercy is forbidden, you have to get rid of all instances of that mercy. Like he gets rid of all artifacts he comes across. Gets rid of anything that he can't control. I want to just describe my journey with, with this book. Rereading it actually did more to show me the impact of this reading project than, than most anything else so far. And one example of that is just when I read books, I, I have certain visions going on in my head of what the scene looks like, uh, especially with a, with a work, work of fiction. So it's almost like there's a movie playing in my, in my head. 
and I'm, I'm sure this happens with, with, with all of you guys as well. But I, I remember those, those visions and that, that's why I, I don't like watching a movie of the book because it, it puts those images in my head instead of, instead of ones that, that just kind of naturally occur as I'm reading. And so the, the reason I mentioned that is the images changed for me between reading it in 2017 and reading it just last week. And that really struck me because I, I, I will remember the visions. I'll, I'll remember the images, kind of the movie playing in my head as, as I'm reading a book and, and, and as I found out as I'm rereading a book. But the images shifted. It, it wasn't the same image. So what, what happened between 2017 and 2020? Well, I, I read other books about about this particular time of, of history and, and just other books in general that I guess gave more insight into this book. So the first time I read it, the, the reason I hated it so much it, it is because of that violence. It was just so shocking. Uh, the things that happen in this book are so gruesome and disturbing that I couldn't get past that. I, I just, I didn't want to get past that. To me, the, the way I, I referenced it in, in that first podcast is that it was like somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, I've got this great triple X movie and there's a lot of culture in this movie, but you know, you're going to have to sit through and, and those visions, those things that you watch in that triple X movie, you'll never be able to get those out of your head. They'll be, they'll be in your head the rest of your life. But oh man, it, there's some great culture in this, this triple X movie. I just, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch a triple X movie to get culture. And that's how I viewed Blood Meridian the first time I read it. I, I didn't want to get past the level of violence to try to, to get more out of the book. But I guess other things I've read in between and then not being as shocked with the violence this, this time helped me just to, to look deeper at the writing, to look at the style of the book, and to to just approach it in a, in a, in a different way. So some of the books that I read in between that, that gave it a little more context, one was, was guns, germs, and steel by Jared Diamond. And that book starts off with the battle of Cajamarca in Peru. And that that was a, a battle between, uh, the Incas under Atahualpa and the Spanish and the Spanish decimated, I think 7,000 people, and did not lose a single soldier. It just kind of showed the the difference in weaponry, uh, metals. You know, one metal is going to be stronger than the other. So if you're in a sword fight, uh, one metal can probably just destroy the other sword. Uh, guns versus not having guns uh, allows a group, a small group of Spanish to decimate 7,000 people without losing a single person. I think one person got injured on the Spanish side. 7,000 died on the Incan side. They're very, uh, very similar situations in, in this, in Blood Meridian, where the, this gang that the kid is part of, they're very few in number and they, they'll, they'll go into a town of a thousand people and, and wipe everyone out. Second book is uh, one I read uh, just recently about Davy Davy Crockett, and Davy Crockett was a little before this time. Uh, um, he he died at the Alamo in the in the eighteen thirties, 
but it was starting to, the, the idea of manifest destiny was starting. And then Davy Crockett himself just going to Texas and, and, um, and, and fighting the Mexicans. Uh, it, it, I guess I saw a little more of the, of the history that kind of led up to the period of time where blood Meridian takes place. Uh, the power and the glory by Graham Greene uh, also uh, takes place somewhat around um, around this area. Uh, another book this year, News of the World, uh, was 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 a work of fiction, but uh, also took place in this one in the late 1800s, but but in Texas, and uh, there were still fights between uh, people of Texas and people of uh, uh, well the Indians, and the Indians would would kidnap uh, people in, in there. And then, uh, reading the first book I read this year is the Bible. There, there were a lot of connection points with, with the Bible. Uh, in the kid comes across a tree that's on fire. I mean, just very reminiscent of, of Moses in, in the burning, burning bush. And so just a lot, a lot of similarities that, that, uh, that you would see in the Bible with, with blood Meridian. And so all those books really helped, I guess, give more context to the second reading of Blood Meridian. But the first time I read it, I, as I mentioned, I, I would rank it 189 out of, out of 189. I, I hated it. But this time, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was a big shift. The first time I would have given it one star out of five, uh, this time I'd, I'd give it four. It's still a very difficult book to read, I, uh, but I, I got over that initial shock of the violence. And I don't know if that's a, a, a good thing, but I, I was able to appreciate the novel more this time around. And I, I think it has a lot to do with this reading project in general. I, I, I guess I also was able to see the skill of what Cormac McCarthy did in this book as well. The, his style of writing, um, just that, that pizzicato uh, aspect of it in, in, in the way that he writes. And, and I guess just being able, despite the content, despite the, the gruesome violence, uh, to see beauty in the writing itself. So to recap, <clears throat> Blood Meridian is, is kind of the, the sadistic hero's journey. There's not a hero. Uh, um, the kid, you, you, kid's not someone you, you really want to, to be like, uh, and you definitely, the the judge is is one of the the worst characters I've ever come across in literature. I saw where someone wrote that Stephen King should should get his ideas of of horror from from Cormac McCarthy. But this this experience was also a telling one for me uh, to perhaps give books that I don't like a second chance. In in a different way, I did that with The Great Gatsby this year. I first read that in high school and hated it, but that was because I was forced to read it. And I really enjoyed it this time. And I'm also 40 years old. And so there were things that I got out of The Great Gatsby this time that I just I wouldn't have understood as a as a 16 year old reading it. So give books give books a, a another chance. Maybe uh you hated it the first time. I, I hated this book the first time, but uh I was pleasantly surprised this time around. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of 
of Blood Meridian. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I've gotten a lot of thoughts on that first podcast episode, and many of them uh, not very, very nice. Uh, but it's it was it was warranted because I did not do a good job in covering the book. I, I just covered how I hated the book, and and that's not fair. So I'd love to hear what you you think of this book. There are so many levels so many ways to to approach it and and think about it that I'd love to hear those different approaches. I looked a little bit online on on what others had said about this book, but I I, I tried as much as possible to just go into it with what I read and to to see what I got out of it in, instead of just directly going to to Google to to see what other people said about it. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to booksoftitans.com forward slash support. Also, just want to let you know that that I do website development. Um, I, I work with universities. I work with, uh, I, I just did a, a website for uh, a big alliance for organ donation. So I love huge, complex, difficult websites. If, if you know of someone who needs uh, a, a, a website or, or just help with their online presence, um, I, that would help because uh, that work helps support this project. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And the website is stock full of resources to help you find books and to create your own reading list. I'll be back next week disc- discussing another book on this year's 2020 reading list. And in fact, I may, uh, may get Jason and, and we may, may talk about Blood Meridian a little more and go into a little more depth about the book. So it'll either be that or, or another book for my 2020 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep, lis- keep listening, and keep learning. I'm out. Thank you.